Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Say we've got nothing in common, no common ground to start from. Calling in from Cleveland, Ohio this week, we have Jake of the Chardon Polka Band. For years, Jake has made a name for himself in the polka world and drew major attention to the band in 2015 with an hour-long 90s cover medley. Their new album, Oh No, Not Again, features a cover of Deep Blue Something's lone hit, Breakfast at Tiffany's. But are they an incredible band or a Deep Blue nothing? We dive into the history of the band, the song, and Jake's polka background to decide if we all kind of like it or not. One hit is all you need To make the money guaranteed And you can live off royalties Forever And it makes me wonder Is it just a wonder Or is it one hit thunder So, Jake Yes You are in a polka band I am. I'm Jake Cowie from the Chardon Polka Band out of the greater Cleveland, Ohio area. Now, you had contacted me because I have a Christmas podcast, which is an insane sentence that just came out of my mouth. Right. But you sent me your Christmas album, but you also sent me, you released two albums at the same time. And one has a bunch of great covers, including a cover of Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something. And I messaged you and said, hey... We got to talk about Deep Blue something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always excited when stuff like that happens. Uh, you know, I reach out trying to promote one thing, and then someone will go, wait, wait, what is this other thing you're doing? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'd, happy, <laughs> I'd be happy to show up and talk about that as well. Yes, um, <laughs> we released two albums this November. One of them is called A Very Polka Christmas, and that is a holiday album as you just detailed the other album is called oh no not again it's uh <laughs> it's more of a polka album however because we're not really your standard polka band um not only does that album have some old polka classics but it's got some hits from the 1990s on there as well that that caught your ears for sure uh i i am definitely a big polka guy which is an insane sentence again to say but even a more insane sentence for you to say is that you're a big 
deep blue something breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, <laughs> so let's get into this. So we recorded a whole bunch, and I may have revealed this conversationally to Chris that did either of you have the box when you were kids? Yes, there was a television station where you could call in and for like 99 cents or $1.99, you could order a music, a music video. video to yeah. play on your television. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Did anybody actually spend the money or did we all just hope someone else would? <laughs> I had it. but So this guy, I got in trouble with my mom because I spent almost $10 ordering breakfast at Tiffany's <laughs> on the box <laughs> regularly. This is amazing. I When this song came out, I loved it it was so catchy i was so into it but as chris pointed out we were listening to the album and he's like wait so you didn't actually have the deep blue something album no even as a kid i kind of had this suspicion that this was as much as deep blue something as i really wanted to have in my life was just breakfast at tiffany's five to seven times ordered on the box okay yeah money that you could have spent on the album but you spent on ordering you like the music i don't even remember the music music video the music video is literally nothing important it was literally (laughs) i think i just wanted to hear the song wow breakfast at tiffany wow Jake, did you have a, a similar uh, feeling about Breakfast at Tiffany's? Okay, so most of my my 90s music, I would have been getting to the point where I was buying music like in 99 and the early 2000s. But, you know, growing up in the 90s, though, it was all peripheral, if that's the right word. Like I knew all these right. songs and I'd walk around singing them or or whatever, but... I was never consciously going and, and buying albums or 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 kind of getting obsessive over music till later. Um, so this was a delightful tune that I've known since it came out in '95. You know, I knew the tune. You know, a very catchy tune. But when I became a musician, we started playing, you know, playing music, and more recently looking for songs to do. This one just popped out in my mind is oh yeah that one's killer i don't know if i described that well or if that sentence made any any uh sense i think it may have been the first time anyone ever heard breakfast at tiffany's and said oh this is killer but other than matt apparently who thought this song was the jam i thought that this song was very much killer dude i think this song is the jam (laughs) so i have a weird thing also with you know like when you're a kid you kind of like make up shit, but like in your head, it's a fact. Like I think of like all of the different like Merlin Manson rumors when I was growing right. up. That, too. He's, that he's Paul Pfeiffer from The Wonder Years. Yeah, like yeah. stuff like that. So for no other reason than the guitar tone that plays in like the interludes of this song, I'd convince myself that Deep Blue Something was the band that did the Pete and Pete theme song. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, that's not them. <laughs> that's Polaris. Because <laughs> it's a very similar like guitar riff. Polaris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's Polaris. <laughs> yeah, Polaris is great. Yeah. <laughs> and I've gotten into them more. But as a kid, I was like, that guitar sounds the same as this guitar. So that's clearly the same band. That's the only explanation that I could form in my eight-year-old mind. Yeah. Okay, I can hear the guitar tone similarity, but I think Polaris would be pretty pissed that you thought they were deeply something. <laughs> oh, man, I think you're drawing a, a wonderful musical conclusion there. Okay, let me, let me chime in, like, even from a production standpoint, you know, how music would have been mixed at 95 would have been to have that similar vibe, you know, what was popular and what was working. So the effects on a guitar and where that, guitar stands out in the mix that all would have been relatively very close to 
the Pete and Truth sound, as they say. Can I interrupt? Yes. yes. This is irrelevant to Deep Blue something. It is extremely relevant to Pete and Pete. When I was, nice. <laughs> this would have been when I was probably 19 or 20. That doesn't matter. I was at a music festival. Now, this was a, a Christian music festival in Pennsylvania. And I was selling T-shirts and CDs for a buddy of mine. He had a, a T-shirt business. So I was, I was hanging out in this big tent at his booth, handing people shirts. And there was this girl looking at the CDs. And I went, man, that looks like Ellen from Pete and Pete. And, uh, you know, this was 10, it doesn't matter, 10, 15 years, 20 years after Pete and Pete. So I walked over to this girl and I was like, hey, does anybody ever tell you, you look, you look like Ellen from that Pete and Pete show. Have you ever seen Pete and Pete? And as soon as I said, have, have you ever seen Pete and Pete? She goes like this, she looks around and then she goes, shh. And I go, what? And she goes, don't say that loudly. And I go, what? And, and I go, are you Ellen? And she goes, yeah, don't <laughs> say that loudly. And, 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 and I literally, I, I was freaking out because I love Pete and Pete, but I'm pretty sure no one else at this event would have known who she was. <laughs> I mean, it was all, you know, it was all, uh, the majority of the audience there was like teenagers, you know, and even the guy I was selling t-shirts with, I, I, I ran back to him. I said, man, you got a camera. That's Alan from Pete and Pete. And he goes, that's who? And, and I go, we got to get our picture. That's Alan. And he, he literally was like, I have no idea who that is, Jake. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I love that. I love she's like shh. Yeah, no, don't tell anybody. I'm not, I am not kidding. She literally was like shh. Don't you know? Like don't make a big deal. I don't want to get a rush of fans. I'm trying to enjoy myself. <laughs> it was literally like that scene at the beginning of Jurassic Park where Dennis Nedry is sitting there and the and the other guy Dodson's got the hat and the sunglasses and uh, Dennis Nedry starts making fun of him you know Newman starts making fun of him and he's like no one cares no we got Dodson here we got Dodson <laughs> it's so funny that you said that you were at a Christian music festival cuz as i was listening to deep blue something in my head i was like this sounds like a band that would have toured with like jars of clay like easily like they have such a similar acoustic driven rock sound that like i could see a bill that's like deep blue something jars of clay and cademan's call just like going out on the road and doing <laughs> audio adrenaline yeah exactly in that same that forefront records area i could see them falling into but a lot of that harkens back to the 90s and the 90s sound yeah and and when deep blue something had their hit they were kind of an outlier because that was exactly when grunge was hitting if i am not mistaken it, it was towards the tail end yeah it was like it was as like the post grunge like the bushes were coming out around now right and that's you know the wonderful thing about the 90s is we just had so many different genres and subgenres that that were coming out with hits and that were featured on the radio regardless of style you never like you could turn on the radio in the 90s and and hear the cherry pop and daddies and then sublime was the next song and how fantastic is that but okay the jars of clay the deep blue something and and even digging back into uh polaris pete and pete those were all that similar sound that that was like kind of the pop rock with acoustic driven you mentioned 
that was extremely yeah. popular in the 90s. Right. And I would put this very specific subgenre of music, which I would put Deep Blue Something Breakfast at Tiffany's, along with Delamitri Roll to Me. Yeah. And and shout out to Nine Days, probably Story of a Girl would fit in here as what I would consider the sitcom friends style of music. If you know the sitcom Friends, yeah. these songs would fit yeah. perfectly into the aesthetic of that television show. Absolutely. That makes sense. That pop rock would be played at Central Park <laughs> Cafe. Or, is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, Central yes. Park. You nailed it. Right, right. And I don't mean to... I know I came off a little harsh about this song at first, but it's not... It's a pretty good chorus. I think my only complaint with this band, Matt and I put this on while you were having actually having breakfast at Christopher's this morning. <laughs> yeah. And I was making some breakfast, and I was like, okay, I'm going to put Deep Blue Something on while I make breakfast. And it just wasn't good. And you agreed with me. No, I, I think that the, the standout track is Breakfast at it Tiffany's was just, by a There was nothing a, memorable about any yeah. of the other songs. And this song has that chorus that just, yeah. Oh, it's, it's infectious. It sticks in your head, even though... I, like I said, I'm not going to drag this song, but I see a couple things here in my notes. One of them being the Houston Press. I don't know if the Houston Press is necessarily an authority on music, but they ranked it the second worst song of all time. So I got that incorrectly. Okay. They ranked it the second worst song to come out of Texas okay. behind Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby. That came out of Texas? I I guess Rob Van Winkle is from Texas. Okay. I, know, I thought he was from Florida. I always pictured him be repping Miami, but you know, I guess he's a Texas guy. And uh, and also VH1 and Blender ranked the song as the sixth most awesomely bad song ever. So that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. It's I feel like that's harsh though. I feel like I think that there's a lot working for the song. I feel like it falls into two buckets. There's Deep Blue Something, which I have opinions of, but then I, there's the song Breakfast at Tiffany's, which I still have. I don't know if it's just because I grew up on it and I've got the nostalgia goggles where I can't see it as anything more than the song that eight-year-old me was just obsessed with right? <laughs> or what. But like, as far as like the Deep Blue Something other songs that I have no emotional connection to, I'm like, oh yeah, this isn't very good. But that song, I think, is incredible. Jake, we always have to ask this question sometimes. Are you a Breakfast at Tiffany's fan or are you a Deep Blue Something fan? Okay. Okay. So you got me there. I do have <laughs> to admit a certain ignorance to the rest of their music. I, I am very familiar with this song and have studied it a great deal as we perform it ourselves. I want to go on the record. I, I would go to the mat to defend this song, man. This is a, I think... This is a killer song. I definitely disagree with the Houston press. Yeah. There's got to be worse songs. Yeah. There's got to be worse songs that came out of Texas than this. I, I've i never heard of a worse news organization. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of one. Yeah. I've never even heard of the Houston <laughs> press before this. There may be worse news organizations, but I want to go on the record. Jake Cowie from the Chardon Polka Band, the Houston <laughs> press, second worst news publication in Texas. <laughs> okay. So this song in no, I can't speak to the rest of their body of, of work from a personal level. But like if, if you examine this song, first of all, we're still singing it today. It's still on the radio today. And, and those two qualifications don't necessarily make something good. But you take, all right, switch over in your mind and, th and think about movies. You know, there are movies that win Oscars that you couldn't name the Oscar winners from 1995, you know, or, or 96 or whatever. Maybe they're just not relevant anymore. We don't remember them. 
first of all, this is a memorable tune. Of all the music that comes out every year, we're still singing this one today. This is still on the radio today, and people are still enjoying it. And, and, and enjoying something, I think, especially on a personal level, as a musician who, who plays songs for people all the time, if you're playing something that people enjoy, there's there's merit to it. I mean, just just take other hits from the last few years. You know, how often do we hear Wrecking Ball come on the, the radio anymore? I think Breakfast at Tiffany's probably gets more airplay than that song does. And, and that song was only a, been a while now, but but <laughs> it's not as old as Breakfast at Tiffany's. It's a, it's a catchy tune. It right. is catchy. It gets stuck in your head and and that's a good thing and and that doesn't make it good, you know. I'm not saying that makes it good, but there is relevance to a, a catchy song, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, I was going to say as a musician from a musical standpoint, what about this song makes it so catchy? Is it it's the melody of that chorus. It's the melody cuz the lyrics specifically in the chorus don't really flow that well, but it's the melody in which they're sung that makes it work. It makes it fun to remember those lyrics because I don't know. I don't think any of the three of us have some sort of connection to the Audrey Hepburn Breakfast at Tiffany's neither, film. So, so the fun <laughs> thing we? is neither did Deep Blue Something. Right. This song is actually about watching the movie Roman Holiday, but they right. thought that Breakfast at Tiffany's fit a better like rhyme scheme and a better like melody line. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a, it's a more well known movie that too that too so i want to bounce off something that jake was talking about because it is interesting like you're saying this song is still played on the radio today and i wanted to look at when this hit billboard it peaked at number five on january 20th 1996 and if you look at the four songs that were above it i would argue breakfast at tiffany's gets played more than the four songs that charted higher than it what are they missing by everything but the girl I barely remember that yeah, one. Yeah, that's like the desert's mist. Oh, rain. okay. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hey Lover by LL Cool J. That's a bad song. That's a bad song. Uh, uh, Exhale Shoop Shoop by Whitney Houston. There's a million other Whitney Houston songs that get played way more than that. Okay. And the only one that maybe gets played as much or more than Breakfast at Tiffany's was number one was the mega hit of that year. That was Mariah Carey and Boys to Men's One Sweet Day. That song... Got was like number one on the charts like that whole year or yeah. something ridiculous. And like that, that song is, I literally think that's one of the prettiest songs that's ever been written. That song is gorgeous. But I think that Jake might have a point or you guys might have a point that this song may be the one that's played the most it's played on i don't hey in cleveland what's your what's your wish fm or your uh what's you what'd you say in philly ours is b101 b101 like wish fm is like we play the hits of the 90s 2000s and now or whatever you know like the yeah. easy listen like um, the adult contemporary station yeah i forget which one that is for us but yeah it's the you know we play anything right yeah <laughs> and that's where you're gonna hear this song i do want a real quick shout out to a few of the other songs that were in the top 10 that year that are just good jams uh name by the goo goo dolls what if god was one of us by joan osborne yes and coolio's gangster's paradise which did end up being the biggest single of the year that this song came out right i feel like the out of that whole list you mentioned like Gangster's Paradise is staying power. However, big shout out to my man Weird Al. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> I wouldn't know Gangster's Paradise if it weren't for Amish Paradise. Um, Goo Goo Dolls—they've got some staying power. Yeah, Goo. I mean, the Goo Goo Dolls 
was a band that I definitely wrote off as a kid. And now, like, I look back on, I'm like, oh, man, the Goo Goo Dolls had hits for days. Like, yeah. I would see the Goo Goo Dolls live and be able to sing along with every song that they played in their set. Yeah, they had some serious 90s adult contemporary jams. Yeah. I saw just this week that Phoebe Bridgers and Maggie Rogers, they said if Trump lost, they were rele- they would release a cover of Iris. So they, they did it this, nice. this past week, and it's really good. And, yeah, that song's amazing. Goo Dolls had hits. I would like to see the Goo Goo Dolls on a bill with Lady Gaga, so it would be the Goo Goo Gaga tour. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty good. I have a lot of good ideas like that. <laughs> Gaga's what my phone thinks I laugh like every time I try to text somebody. I see that Deep Blue Something were two brothers. Yeah. They're, they're that, that, yeah. that rare brothers. Todd and Toby Pipes, who had no choice but to uh, start a band together with names like Todd and Toby Pipes. <laughs> I, I There's something that's weird to me about... Uh, I mean, I'm someone who's not really interested in having kids and i know you're also someone who's not interested in having kids but i feel like giving your kids the names todd and toby which are like so interchangeable is just a weird choice yeah (laughs) yeah 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 probably i mean i'm talking to two pete and pete fans that's true that's true Uh, you're so pete and pete i am a a dude i uh at least three years I was uh, already the strongest man in the world for Halloween. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm surprised you haven't started a Pete and Pete podcast yet. <laughs> hey, okay. So as far as this song goes, I can agree that it's a catchy song. I saw your version of it, Jake. It's awesome. I, I can appreciate it from a musical standpoint, but I do have to say, on the other hand, it, it is also a pretty shitty song. Like in the grand scheme of things, when you're looking at the mid 90s, and the stuff that was coming out, the groundbreaking music that was coming out. This is why, as a dude who was into punk rock and alternative music in the mid-90s, that I would look at a song like this and go, oh, man, this is just the worst. So to back up what you're saying there, yeah. see, I'm, I'm playing the middle man yeah. on all of this. To back that up, this did come out in 1995, which at the exact same time, the best-selling records that year were coming out from PJ Harvey, Bjork, Alanis Morissette, the Smashing Pumpkins, Oasis, and this was the best-selling record that year was The Benz by Radiohead. Yeah, I mean... So, like, yeah, when, in that comparison, this song is definitely not doing anything incredible, but I think we've talked about this before, too, where there is something worthy about being able to just write a really good pop song. Okay, well, I'm going to say that The Benz and Bjork Post was the album that came out that year. Two of, like, the greatest albums ever, Yeah, uh, in my opinion, and then... Deep Blue Something comes out with Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is l- literally their only even decent song. They are the, they are the definition of a one-hit wonder. Yeah, like, that, I mean, that's fair. It, that's very apparent by our, <laughs> our listening session this morning that there was nothing even... It, this album that Breakfast at Tiffany's is on opens with the most boring four or five minute long it's a four or five minute long instrumental instrumental jam session (laughs) instrumental jam session before it goes into breakfast at tiffany's and i will say jake you should take a listen as a musician this intro track you would think that it would lead into breakfast at tiffany's but no this instrumental intro track ends and there's a, a break And then Breakfast at Tiffany's start, and these two songs sound nothing like each other. There was no reason for this album (laughs) to open with this instrumental track. There is there it was no foreshadowing of here comes Breakfast at Tiffany's. It was nothing (laughs) like that. It was just like 
a random jam session from like practice or something that they put as the first track. There was no effort put into it. Just like that other song we heard by them, Matt, from the same album, where the chorus was like Nas, or it was yeah, just it was all Nas, Nas, Nas. It's bad, man. It's bad. If you dig deeper on deeply something, it's bad. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig deeper. I'm, I feel. I'm, I, the other than listening to more of their music, I feel like I've delved deep into their work. I, uh, <laughs> I talked to uh, their guitar player Toby a couple weeks ago. Oh, oh shit! No. While we yeah. were doing some promotion. Yeah, I'm not kidding. When we were doing some promotion for these new albums, I talked to to Toby. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. They're really cool guys. We've said this before. There's songs that we don't like, but we're still convinced that the people in the band are probably super nice guys. Yeah, yeah. Damn, now I feel bad. <laughs> I feel bad well, for no, dragging them. Obviously, we're all entitled to our opinions, man. Yeah. And and yeah. and that's a be- that's a beautiful thing about art is you can take it different ways. And I'm sure these guys, you know, these guys have been getting crud for breakfast at Tiffany's for now 30 years, right? Yeah, and they're probably laughing all the way to the bank about it because it's still they're still getting royalties on that song so the joke's on us if 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 i'm over here talking shit on them you know so i do want to talk about from a history history standpoint while we're talking about the band deep blue something i want to talk about their drummer because their drummer did something that i think is kind of cool and kind of interesting talking about people who are like laughing off to the bank with their one hit so deep blue something was on interscope records there was this huge controversy of them trying to put out their second record where uh there was a lawsuit against the band over the title breakfast at tiffany's from the filmmakers of breakfast at tiffany's right interscope got annoyed about that and because they couldn't release anything until that was done by the time their second album was ready like interscope's focus was on limp biscuit who was about to put out three dollar bill y'all so deep blue something was not really important thing on their radar so they got into a lawsuit with interscope to get released from their contract because interscope basically just threw their second album to Japan and nowhere else. And the band was like, what the fuck? Like we worked really hard on this. So the drummer then went off and formed his own indie label called Kirtland records. And for a brief time, he owned through that record label, the back catalog for Bush and no doubt he sold them back to the bands, but he also released albums by the polyphonic spree, the flies and the toadies. 
What I think is interesting about that is Bush, no doubt, the Toadies, and Polyphonic Spree, all before they recorded with his record label, used to be on Interscope Records. So it's almost like he had a bad experience with Interscope and was like, yo, if Interscope gives you any shit, just come to me and I'll take care of it for you. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I did get this from my my discussion with Mr. Toby is that, you know, they've used that and as a as a as a platform to to get further to achieve more in the industry and as a a stepping stone you know owning your own uh record company they run a recording studio in texas he said you know it's we'd still be making music but we wouldn't have had all these amazing opportunities we've had if it weren't for breakfast at tiffany's right and we've seen that that's been a common theme on here a lot of these people that are one hit wonders they can sometimes use that success to parlay into even more success in other ways just like adam schlesinger r.i.p parlayed his success from fountains of wayne stacy's mom into writing for everything from you know broadway to television to yeah, movies to, like, to that thing you do to uh crazy ex-girlfriend to you know everything so josie, josie and the pussycats my favorite of adam schlesinger's writing credits honestly. right right so you see that a lot that people can take that and even if it's a song that people will make fun of uh after the fact that they can take whether it financially or just from meeting people from that experience can then turn that into something even way more successful and popular than their one hit. I want to ask a question to Jake, though. Your band put out this album. You actually cover Closing Time on it. You cover Breakfast at Tiffany's on it. So I want to ask you two questions. One one question is, does the whole band work on like transposing those songs into polka or is that all kind of fall on your shoulders to to handle all of that and then additionally when i look at videos of you guys uh you've got a very punk rock aesthetic with how you appear on stage and i'm curious how did someone that has this like rock background or maybe a punk rock background get into doing a very sincere polka band in 2020? Absolutely. All right. So to answer that first question, we don't necessarily transpose songs. I mean, we we make notations and stuff, and it, and it kind of depends on, on what we're working on. But as for a lot of our covers, our covers come about extremely organically. It's not like we sit down with, with music and go, oh, okay. What are we going to do with uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's? Or how would we like to approach All Star by Smash Mouth? What is more the circumstance in which something like that happens is we'll be at a gig and, you know, we'll be playing for a good crowd. And we're like, oh, they're really digging the 90s tunes. What else can we throw at them? And one of my only skills, I am not a gifted musician at all, but a skill I do have is I retain music and lyrics pretty well. Like if I heard a song a few times and it's been in my peripheral, like, oh, I've heard, I heard Breakfast at Tiffany's, what, a thousand times in my lifetime. So I know how it goes. So we can just, you know, hey, um, we're in the key of C working on this sing breakfast at Tiffany's. And I said, what about, you know, we just start singing it. And then, um, so we do that at a lot of gigs. We just kind of throw a song in there on the spot and, and sometimes it'll go well. Sometimes it won't go well. 
And for the ones that go really well and the audience really enjoys it and we feel like we really enjoyed the vibe we built, then we'll take that song in rehearsal and go, hey, let's actually make that sound a little better. Let's plan out where we're going to do stuff. And so that's kind of how we compose or transpose or or work on a song. I mean, there, there are occasions where we'll have a specific song you know, that we'll all study and then go into practice and, and work on it. But a lot of it comes from organic performances where we just started riffing on something or maybe had a request. I won't lie. I watched the entire hour that you guys posted on YouTube of you doing like an hour long 90s medley at some supper yeah. club. And I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Well, that that gig um, really opened a lot of doors for us. And, and just kind of even from our experimentation as a band, um, what you're describing, um, it's on YouTube. Um, there's a, a wonderful venue here in Cleveland called the Music Box Supper Club. And uh, me and the the venue operators had been looking for a, a place to fit our band in because we're kind of a weird fit since that place opened. And she called me out of the blue one night and she goes, hey, Jake, we're we're doing this decades week where on on Monday we're featuring the 70s. On Tuesday, we're featuring the 80s. On Wednesday, it's the 90s. So on, so on. And she goes, so we're doing this decades week and our 90s band canceled. And I said, okay. And she describes to me what's going on. And I said, oh, yeah, it does sound cool. And, she, and she's like, yeah, so we need an hour 90s music. And I was like, that's cool. So why are you calling me? And she goes, well, would you guys be interested? And I go, well, it's not really what we do. I mean, we do play a few 90s songs, but like an hour of it, like you, you understand we're a polka band, right? She goes, yeah, yeah. But y'all could do that, right? And I went, well, yeah, sure we could. So that was, we took a few songs that we already jammed on, and then we literally just kind of sat down at, at practice and started going, oh, you know, you know, it was a fun 90s song, this, you know, oh, we need to do Celine Dion's uh, My Heart Will Go On. And we just took all these random notes, and then we we took a whole bunch of our favorite polkas because this this was literally like a 45-minute song. And we mixed our favorite polkas in between them. So we were jumping from Backstreet Boys to Celine Dion to Shania Twain, everything in between. Green Day, you name it. If it was from the 90s, it kind of fit into this. We we call it our, our 90s medley where we just we just roll, roll, roll. Well, and, and once we posted that on YouTube and, and you know, all our fans like it and stuff, we really um, took it on a, on a personal level as a challenge. When we play live, if we're doing a festival like an Oktoberfest, where we might play for four hours and an Oktoberfest, the whole point is people are out there drinking. So the last hour to two hours people are fairly sloppy and they don't want to hear your original songs they may not even want to hear polka and so we'll take the last hour to two hours of the time we're supposed to be playing and we'll just play a medley and um without the framework of the 90s we literally just play a medley of what we consider hits or or catchy songs a lot of them would be classified as, as one hit wonders um and we do material from the 1970s till now and it's just like that like that rapid fire you saw we jump from 
you know, four non blondes to offspring to beastie boys to whatever. And it's just in, in the whole point of that style of playing is if you have someone out there drinking, yeah, maybe they don't know that Shania Twain song and whatever, but then all of a sudden we jump into green day and they're singing their heart out and they're, we're the best band in the world. We are green day in that <laughs> moment. So, so bouncing off of that, how did you get into the genre of polka to begin with? Well, that, that's a, um, that question all centers around Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I was living in North Carolina and moved here to Ohio when I was about 13 years old. And so I moved in the summer, didn't have any friends, didn't have anything to do. And I was watching Weird Al Yankovic on VH1. Nice. Nice. I was going to ask about Weird Al. Yeah. yeah. And, and I literally, even as a 13-year-old, I looked at that guy and he seemed to be genuinely smiling and having fun. And a lot of musicians you watch, they look really serious. You know, they're very serious about their art form. And, or maybe they're singing some breakup song and they look sad. But I, I watched him and I went, that guy just looks like he's having a ball. Those other guys on the stage with him, they look like they're having fun. I would like this in my life. And I found an accordion at the thrift store and convinced my parents to buy it for me. And then my mom, uh, bless her heart, went through the phone book and found someone who gave accordion lessons and started driving me out there every Wednesday uh, for accordion lessons. And then my mom being the saint she is, she always wanted to be encouraging. So she found, I think it was still like the newspaper at that point, found some listings for polka shows because polka is pretty popular still in the Cleveland area. And my mom started taking me out to these polka shows so I could see accordion players live. And I really fell in love with that music, much like I did with Weird Al, because it's very happy, irrelevant, irreverent, humorous music. I mean, it's just funny music. It's not, it's not too serious. And I just kind of fell in love with that as an art form. The first band I was ever in was a punk band in middle school. Um, right after I'd started taking accordion lessons, I, I um, met this guitar player in middle school and we we played punk music on the weekends and um, we always integrated polka stuff into it. But I, musically, I was just always drawn to um, being irreverent, being just silly and and having fun with it. I loved the humor that that polka had to offer really throughout uh, my eighth grade and then like freshman and sophomore year of high school. Um, I studied the polka genre. Um, I bought, I had um, from like Goodwill and garage sales, I had polka cassette tapes and vinyl records. And I literally just poured over them and, and studied it. And my own musical stylings became this eclectic mix of all this different kinds of polka that had influenced me. And then we formed my current band, the Chardon Polka Band, when I was in high school in 2023, all have been doing the Chardon Polka Band 20 years. Nice. That's awesome. And, That's uh, really awesome. Yeah, I love it. And and one of the things that our band has always tried to do is just make it relevant to people our own age. And so in high school, we are playing covers of stuff that was popular when I was in high school. But then kind of after 
I graduated from high school and stuff like that. And we were taking the band in different directions. Um, the nineties have always, you know, been a focus for us. Um, just because that's when I grew up, that's the music I love. And so if I'm playing for people, my age, they also dig that material thrown in there. And I feel like now, 20 years later, some of this stuff is just so off the wall to hear a polka band do. I mean, not that it wouldn't be just as off the wall to hear us do Cardi B or whatever, but I love that we can play closing time. And when we do it, we're not trying to be ironic. We're not trying to be humorous, even though there is some humor involved. Like we actually dig that song and, and try to do uh, an honest interpretation of it. That's awesome, man. Because my question, I mean, one of my questions was going to be that, you know, yeah, Polka's a style. You said it in a, a great way. It, it, there's a humor to it, but you're playing it sincerely. Absolutely. You get that there's there's a humorous aspect to it, but you're doing it sincerely. And that's what makes it good. Absolutely. And I, I mean, the same thing when we do these covers. I mean, I, I, I definitely feel like sometimes, you know, we're, we're being more ironic or more or, or more silly with it than others. You know, to kind of when you put something with a polka beat that really just, you know, it was meant to be serious or it was meant to be sexy. And, it, right. and then we, we throw it over as polka. It's it is silly. But, the, you know, especially, you know, I think about, um, you know, y'all's program and the and the concept of one hit wonders and today we're talking about breakfast at tiffany a song that takes a lot of heat but i wouldn't be performing that song if i didn't love it like and you know i can come on here and talk for an hour about it and and why i like it i, I think it's a good song but that goes to so many other songs we play but and going beyond my my band you know um just that we know is a a public is collected works from uh, what I consider the great American songbook, you know, Hell yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's so many of these songs and, and I think anybody, I'm, there's certainly bands and artists that I actively dislike, or I actively could make fun of if given the platform to do so. But it it is all art that somebody is working on, you know, it's, right. it's, you know, like we play Backstreet Boys and I definitely think that's friggin' silly. You know, um, <laughs> it's a great it's a great breakdown in the middle of our medley. We just stop and we go, you are my fire. I love it. I love it. I point my finger at the audience. I'm, you know, I'm getting into it. And, that, and that's funny. But if you know, if I had to, if I had to get down to brass tacks and like actually study that song, I'd be like, you know, boy bands have their place. Right. And and they they're making music that that people did or or do enjoy, you know. Right. One one of the best times I've had as a musician and I, it's it's something I kind of struggle with because I do we we write our own songs and we love them and and they don't have the kind of reaction that playing a hit from the 1990s garners. But and anyway, one of my favorite times as a musician um, we play this festival in Texas and we had to have like 3000 people in a tent and then outstretched beyond this tent because it was closing night of the festival. This tent was the place to be. And we do a breakdown of Four Non Blondes. We're singing this song and we're, we're singing it with reverence. We're singing our hearts out. 
But really, you know, when we think we're in Lederhosen, you know, we're in the full polka regalia, we're in Lederhosen, I'm wearing an accordion, you know, for, for goodness sakes. But people had such a, a reverence and a great memory associated with that song. The whole crowd, I'm talking, there were 3,000, I know people don't do the lighters anymore. They had the phones held up with their flashlights. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, like the whole audience was singing that song. I mean, it was this beautiful, powerful moment. And, and, and like you were saying at the, at the beginning of the show, I can't believe I said that. That's a really weird sentence, you know? It, it, and, it, and that's a really weird sentence for me to say, you know, we're playing an Oktoberfest event, doing a cover of the Four Nod Blondes, <laughs> and everyone in the audience is having this religious experience. And, and what a great thing music can do you know and, oh, and yeah. the same applies to the the deep blue something tune you know to breakfast at tiffany's the staying power of that song you know we we play for teenagers and and geez we do elementary schools and stuff and yeah that's not a song we play at elementary schools but like if we're out doing a concert and there's kids there for some reason they're singing along i don't know how they know these tunes you yeah know, but they, this one is definitely all. stuck around i think and, that this is also one of those songs we talked about it with a few songs but it's one of those ones where like by the second verse you kind of already know the chorus enough to take a chance at singing oh, yeah. along with it when it comes on again <laughs> right and yeah i think you've made a lot of good points about deep blue something and and i <laughs> you know the one thing we do before we wrap up here is we decide is this song one hit thunder it totally should have been there or is it a one hit blunder meaning you know this probably shouldn't have happened. So I kind of feel like, Jake, we know what your answer to that's going to be. I spent $10 on my mom's credit card for it. It's thunder for me as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's going to win. Yeah. It's going to win thunder based on like the voting here. But I, despite everything, I was going to go, bl I'm still going to go blunder on this one. And I'm only saying that for, I'm saying it for two reasons. And I'm sure that Todd and Toby Pipes are nice guys, and I'm sure that they, whatever, all that stuff. But I have to go with Blunder on this one. First of all, because we investigated their catalog a little more, and it is not good. <laughs> it is it is pretty not good. It is it is very easy to forget. There, yeah. There's nothing memorable about those other songs. That is part one. Part two is this song came out in 1995, and when you read me that list of yeah, Bjork Post and Radiohead Benz and Lannis Morrison, like people that were like pushing the boundaries of music and stuff came out. And then for this song to take up space on the airwaves and on MTV at that time when there was such great stuff going on, I, I got to go with Blunder on this one. But I'm outvoted two to it's one. It's outvoted two to one. This bet, this will be forever. You know, when someone finally gets around <laughs> to making a one-hit thunder Wikipedia page for us and tracking all of this, right? This will be forever listed as a thunder. Yes, yes. This will this will on, <laughs> on the Wikipedia page for Breakfast at Tiffany's. It will say this song uh, got the one-hit thunder stamp of approval <laughs> on episode number whatever forty-eight or something. <laughs> but yeah, hey Jake, thanks for coming on, man. It's cool it. talking to you. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. This has been uh this has been a good time. I, yeah. Defending one of my favorite songs. <laughs> hey. 
This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafaios of Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah, and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing the Chardon Polka Band's cover of Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is on their new album, Oh No, Not Again, which is available on Spotify, on CD, anywhere streaming's available, or even their website, chardonpokaband.com. They also have a new Christmas album out called A Very Polka Christmas. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. One thing we got. Network. Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts.